Welcome to the Mothers You Know podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a place where we as women remember the spirit God gave us. We know how much we matter and we believe all things are possible to them that believe on this Savior Jesus Christ. Here at Mothers Who Know, we support the parents of young men in the Sons of Helaman and young women in the Daughters of Light programs at Life Changing Services. These programs provide therapeutic and mentoring services for youth struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, pornography, and any other unwanted or difficult behaviors. We offer parent support, training, and resources for mothers and fathers seeking the best way to support their loved one. Any mother is welcome to join in the Mothers Who Know classes support and training. You do not need to have a child in life-changing services to join in. We hope you'll join us. I am Karen Broadhead. I serve as the director of Mothers Who Know, and I serve as the parent support specialist at life-changing services. I invite you to join with me and other mothers from across the country in our Warrior Mothers Who Know online support and training group held every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. If you have a child struggling with pornography, depression, anxiety, or other difficult behaviors, you will find a safe and uplifting place to learn from other moms and learn principles and strategies to best support your loved one. Please go to MothersWhoKnow.org to find the online meeting details. We talk about difficult things here with the intent to shine light in dark corners and to eliminate isolation and shame. We are mothers with warrior hearts who are raising the warriors of this generation. We know we must learn to fight well for ourselves first, then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Welcome to Mothers You Know and our Stay by the Tree webinar series. This is one of my absolute favorite series that we have because we get to have some very special guests that come in and visit with us. But before we get started, I just want to thank you for joining us this morning and let you know who this is sponsored by. So our Stay by the Tree webinar series is sponsored by our main company, Life Changing Services. And Life Changing Services provides healing and counseling for the whole family. So if there's anybody in your family struggling with probably just about anything, we're here to help you. And one of the things that Life Changing Services does really well is help youth. And as moms, we know when our children are struggling that it's really hard sometimes to find really good help and services for our kids. So Life Changing Services offers services for young men and young women. And you can find out more at lifechangingservices.org. It's also sponsored by Mothers Who Know, which is the support program that helps all parents in Life Changing Services. Just about all of the uh, services that we offer through Mothers Who Know are free to all moms. And you can find out more at motherswhoknow.org. And last but certainly not least, it's sponsored by Mom Power, which is our uh, eight-week training series that we offer through Mothers Who Know, where we teach moms to feel safe and to connect with the Savior and just help them in ways just in their own lives and in helping and serving their children. If you have any questions about anything, we have some awesome ladies that answer the phones and love to answer all of your questions. Obviously, you can send us an email at any time, but if you feel like that you just want to talk to somebody and ask questions, you can call us anytime. Well, not anytime. We're actually only there Monday through Friday from 9 to 5, but feel free to give us a call and we'll call you back during business hours at 877-437-6877. So just a little bit more about Mom Power. During, in between these, we have these three Stay by the Tree series, and then on the other eight weeks in between, we have a Mom Power class. And this is where you learn to apply powerful tools and principles to find ongoing courage and peace as a mom amid life's challenges. We learn that we can stand in any storm with the Savior by our side. So go to mompowertraining.com for more information on that. It's an eight-week live webinar on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. right here in this same Zoom room. It's presented by Karen Broadhead, who is the Parent Support Specialist at Life Changing Services and the founder and director of Mothers Who Know. Our next series starts June 18th, and normally we charge $100 for all eight weeks. 
And we've been running some specials, so check out our website and you'll see what our special is, mompowertraining.com. And you're welcome to bring a friend along just to help you find peace and power in your life, especially right now during all these challenging times as we all struggle. So moving on, we're excited today to start our uh, first of our three-week webinar series, Stay by the Tree. That's for all women. The theme of our series is always messages of hope. We have today, and then we'll have next Tuesday, June 2nd, and the following Tuesday, June 9th. Today, we have a very special guest, Karen Greenwell, and her message of hope is entitled, The Graffiti <laughs> Principle, Moving Forward with Purpose. And I'm going to go ahead and let Karen Broadhead introduce. Okay, thanks, April. And you know, your slide said that the our next eight-week series started on the 16th, but your mouse said it started on the 18th. Is it a start on the 16th or the 18th? It starts on whatever the Tuesday is, so that would probably okay. be the 16th. Okay. So yes, it's always on Tuesday mornings, and my mouth does all kinds of things that I don't know what <laughs> all the time, so we're good. No. No problem. We love your mouth and we like how it works. So thankful for your help. I want to thank all the sisters who have been so instrumental in making it possible for us to be here today for this webinar series. So grateful. I'm so excited today to introduce you to Karen Greenwell. I wish I had enough time in my life and enough space to just get to know all of the women in my life really, really well. And Karen is on that list. I saw her present and I was so thrilled at her presentation because I got so much attention in it. That was one reason why I was so thrilled. And it served me so much with the issues that I have in my own family and the answers I was looking for. But I also loved, as she presented, feeling this spirit of just overwhelming desire to share her with you. Because she has such a message of hope and teaches such incredible principles. And the way she does it just drew me in like she was reading me a story. And I love people to read to me because I don't, I'm not really awesome at reading. And so whenever anybody in my whole life would read to me, it just did something for my whole soul. That's the way that I learn is auditory, kind of visual, but I'm not a very reading learner. It's been difficult for me my whole life. And I think that's one reason why Karen Greenwell just stood out to me so much is because she taught my very soul as I listened to her. And let me just tell you a little bit about her incredible family. I, I really can't tell you anything about her incredible family other than she has learned to do something that we often say and promote in Mothers Who Know. Because Mothers Who Know are mothers who know how to claim the spirit God gave us and know that God gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, and that there is always, no matter how messy your mess gets, there is always a message and a miracle in that mess because of our Messiah, that he, he is just our deliverer, and she has learned, and when I, I don't know a lot about her family, but it's such a gorgeous family, but she's understood how to, to accomplish and that's one of the reasons I wanted to come to is because she knows how to say this is a beautiful mess with a message and miracles and I'm so grateful for that because that is our message too. Okay so here's her book. Right after I heard her present I went directly to her directly to her booth where her incredibly good, supportive, loving husband stood and I visited with him and I said, I want to buy that book, even though I don't really read that good, <laughs> right? I just told you, I don't really read that good. But I just thought I want to have that book, even though I probably will not read that whole book, I just want it. Because I 
loved her message. Uh, and uh, so Karen, thank you this morning for being here. We're going to turn the time over to you. And I just want you gals to know if you're listening to the recording that you can find her at KarenGreenwell.com. I'm glad to be here. So I will be telling stories. And I hope that the stories that I tell will be something that can touch you not only as mothers, but also as women in the gospel. In our faith, we believe we are whole before the Lord. Yes, as an individual, as a mother, that is my belief. Then the real world crashed in and said, this child, my child, has a mental illness. What once seemed okay now seems broken. The reality of mental illness, whether it be mental illness of a parent or a child, or in my case, a parent and two children, profoundly impacts the entire family. It may cause us to question if we'll ever be whole again. But what can be done? We can do something. We can do something because we are decidedly not broken. But wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. I have a story to tell, and I need to start a little more from the beginning. I want to take you on a journey. Along our journey, I hope to share some lessons about hope and resilience that will remind you that you are stronger than you think you are. I will share stories about my family, and for a moment you may walk a few steps in our shoes as we navigate the world of bipolar disorder. My journey is to take you along a path from mental illness and despair to mental wellness, resilience, hope, healing, and a commitment to embrace all of life's messy and marvelous moments. Now, like any story, my story has characters, and the characters in my story are my family. First, I have my husband, my partner, and that is Dale. Dale and I have been together for 30 years. Oh, and we have, we have had a life. We have also had three children. Our oldest is Sarah. She's 29, and she's married and has a young, our young grandson, and they're raising him wonderfully. Then we have our 24-year-old son, Taylor, and we have our son, Alex, who just turned 21. So to begin my journey, we have to travel back to the mid-1980s when I was diagnosed with manic depression, now known as bipolar disorder. I had had a series of depressions. That's just how my life was, only this depression wasn't getting better. I remember lying in the dark on my couch in my apartment all by myself. I was just numb. And as I, lie, as I was lying there, I was just staring at the ceiling. I remember rubbing my arm. It was kind of soothing. Then I went from rubbing to scratching it, scratched a little harder, and that's just kind of where my focus was. And then I got distracted because my arm was wet. I looked down and there was blood on my arm. I got up and wiped the blood off, and there staring at me were three large, long, angry gouge marks. I thought, what am I going to do? I had never heard myself before. I, I didn't know, should I tell someone? Maybe I should do what I always did, which was to do nothing. But I didn't want to live like that. So I decided that I would tell someone, someone I trusted who was safe. So I went and I talked to him and I showed him my arm. I told him my story. And he said, yes, Karen, you do need help you probably need to get some therapy. So there I went with my 20 year old self and I got myself a therapist. And I went to see them two, two times a week and I didn't get better. I was going to work and they were being so kind letting me be there. I basically just took up space until one day my mind had perfect clarity. I knew exactly in that moment what I needed to do. It was amazing. And if you knew me, you would have been taken back too because 
in that moment, my depression just evaporated. And I knew I needed to run a marathon. I know. It wasn't like me. I needed to run 26 miles downtown Salt Lake City and wherever else I was going to end up. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that I didn't have the right shoes or that I wasn't dressed for running. I was in no condition to run a marathon, yet I was going to start right there, right now, and I was going to go right through that thick plate glass window that surrounded that building. I thought it would be kind for me to go tell my boss that I was leaving for the day, so I did. Rosa, I'm going to go run a marathon. I'm leaving now and I'll see you tomorrow. Luckily, Rosa looked at me and thought this was odd. She said, how about we call your therapist? How about we call David? Okay, out of respect, we'll call David. I thought he'd be so proud of me and my epiphany. I'd figured this out. Instead, I didn't expect what happened. I told David my plan. I told him how I came up with my plan. What I heard was a deep breath in and a slow breath out. And then David said, oh, Karen, I am so sorry. I couldn't imagine what he could be sorry about. I am so sorry. All the signs have been there. You have manic depression, and I didn't see the signs. But now we'll need to do things differently. We need to keep you safe. We need to take, to take care of things and get you on some new treatment. We need to help you know how to help yourself. And that's what happened. I learned the skills from that point forward to identify my needs. I am grateful for a wise therapist who introduced me to the importance of measuring my bipolar symptoms, triggers, and moods. I used charts and scales to help me report to him how I was feeling as I came down from that mania. I was surprised to see that I had patterns of behavior that I did every time as I started to go through a depression. Learning to recognize those patterns helped me see that I could be proactive to build a plan to reach out for help before I ever got to a place where I would hurt myself. So why does it matter to measure or keep track of things like symptoms and behaviors? We're just talking about feeling good or bad, mushy mental health stuff, right? Well, I suppose it's not as scientific as decimal measurements of the weight of plutonium or the circumference of the earth. It doesn't matter, does it? When my younger brothers were only 14 and 16 years old, they ran the St. George Marathon. They really ran a marathon. Being so young and inexperienced, they needed a mentor to help them learn how to train and pace themselves so they could be safe and successful. One of the most important tools their mentor gave them was a fitness watch that tracked the miles run, their times, calories, heart rate, and more. The watch wouldn't make them run, but it could make them run more efficiently and help them toward their progress. The watch was a tool of resilience. Mental wellness tools lead to resilience tool too. Some are formal and some are created in the moment for resilience needs. Like for me, I've used medication tracking to help monitor new medications for side effects or if they need to be adjusted. Looking at the impact of a new therapy or a new therapist for one of my children has encouraged them and me to put a measurement of like a one to 10 of how well they're doing. In our home, we have embraced the belief that to be resilient, I or each one of us need to clearly identify where I am, where I have been, where I want to be and what direction I am going. It is worth the effort. So after that, I recovered from my mania and my diagnosis of manic depression wasn't so much on my radar. I went from there to Washington and to Seattle. 
I love Seattle. I made new friends and I met my husband and we got married and picture this. We we're on our honeymoon in Hawaii. We're in the hot tub and it's night and we're looking up at the stars and we're discussing our future. And I say to him, oh, oh yes, I, I've been diagnosed with this manic depression thing. And he says, manic depression? I think my aunt has that. I don't know for sure though. And we say, hmm. And it goes under the radar, but not for long. Now my story goes on to Alaska. Years later, we have two children, Sarah, who is five, and Taylor, who is almost one. Now, Alaska is a land of extremes, hot, cold, dark, and light. And if you have a mood disorder, Alaska is not the land for you. And Alaska was not the land for me. When we first moved there, it was dark. It was November. But come April, the light comes back seven minutes at a time every day as you move towards June until it's light for 24 hours. And I got manic. I was great. I was great. I was a good wife. I was a good mother. My house was fabulous. I was a good cook. I never had a business before, but hey, why not start a sales business? I was making money and everyone was watching me make money and they were saying, I want to do what she's doing. So without even trying, I recruited 13 people in my first quarter and became the top recruiter in this international business. And they said, you should speak at our national conference. Sure. And I was wonderful. And I was so obnoxious. I was up, no sleep, two to three nights in a row. And Dale didn't mind. Well, he didn't say that he didn't mind, and I didn't ask him. After a while, I wondered when this train would slow down. I was getting tired. August 5th, the train slowed down. Dale and I were up, it was two o'clock in the morning on an August night, it looks like midday. And we were speaking to each other across the couch and it was like this physical sensation came for me and it was, it was as if he was sucked into a vacuum. I could see him, but I couldn't hear him. And in my mind, I was standing before this huge stained glass window. It was beautiful, blues and purples and reds. And I was just mesmerized. And I was looking at it, a small piece of glass dislodged itself and fell silently, slowly to the ground. And then another piece, and then another, and another, until suddenly the entire stained glass window with all the pieces fell to the ground with huge, huge sound that crushed me inside. And the pressure of that sound hit me inside and made me feel like I would never be the same again. And I knew in that moment that the person I thought I was would never be the same again. Del must have noticed something because he looked over at me and said, Karen, are you okay? All I could do was shake my head and I started to sob. I could not be touched and I could not be comforted. I was so far away and in so much pain. I don't remember the next few days after that. Dale had to take care of everything. He was in charge of the children, the house, his job, and I was in charge of nothing. This went on for weeks. For weeks, I was withdrawn, and I only wanted to die. But how? I didn't want to commit suicide, per se. I, I wouldn't have called it that. I just wanted to stop being. I wondered how I could have had that happen. 
I was not good for my husband. I was not good for my family. I didn't want to have to be like that forever. I already felt dead inside and I didn't want to live any longer. Finally, I was gifted something from Alaska. Alaska came with a cold winter and a heavy, heavy blanket of snow for an early season. So then I realized that I had a solution for what I could do. I could be able to go out to my deck at night, lie down in that blanket of snow, curl up, and die. And it would work. So I chose the day that I would die. And on that day, I said goodbye to my children. They were five and one. At dinner that night, I told my husband the things I wanted at my funeral. Oh, I didn't tell him my plans, but he wasn't dumb. He listened to me patiently with my ramblings. And then I went to bed. Previous to that night, while I was depressed, he would stay up and clean the house and get everything ready for the next day. But that night, he went to bed with me. As we laid down, he wrapped me in his arms and I fell asleep. It was my plan in the middle of the night to leave our bed, go to the deck, lay down, and die. But I had the best sleep I had since I could remember. When I woke up the next morning, I was still in his arms, and he had saved me. And I decided I needed to live. So with Dale, I made a contract with him to live. Now, consider the ups and downs I had traveled and the reality that it was going to be difficult for me to even do anything. So we decided that I would start where I was. Think about the resources that I had and do what I could to bounce back. Bounce back only meant forward motion, even just a little. My resilience became a three-step plan Dale established for me. One, get dressed. Two, eat something. Three, get some fresh air. But that was starting somewhere, using the resources we had and moving forward. It was our waltz. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three. Perhaps you've seen ballroom dancers as they glide so gracefully across the floor, her gown moving around. It's so beautiful to watch. That is not what it looked like for me in Alaska. I move painfully slow. One audibly saying each word out loud so I didn't lose track of where I was in this process of becoming well. Dale danced with me, and together we started to pick up the tempo on good days. On even better days, I would lift my head up, look into his eyes, and we would actually laugh. This resilience tool I call the three-step waltz. And I've integrated it into my life even now, 20 plus years later. Remember, resilience is about forward motion. Even if all you or your loved one can do is only move a little. Moving closer to wellness, closer to treatment, even closer to God. One, two, three. As I recovered and became stronger, I became more available mentally, spiritually, and emotionally for my family. I began following a wellness plan. I became involved in activities. I moved forward with more determined and stronger steps and resilience. I now advance my skills from the three-step waltz to what could be envisioned as the more like a swing or a cha-cha or a tango. The faster, more intense, more demanding skills. However, the gifts of resilience and tools of mental wellness have been there so that when I again entered into the cycle of bipolar depression, when the music slows down to a one, two, three waltz again, it's okay. The tools are still there. The dance steps are still there. 
And thankfully, I still have a partner who still knows the right tempo. So my next story on our journey takes us to when we were living in a new home, in a new community, and we were ready to celebrate with a barbecue. And so we had Dell's side of the family over. While we were all together, our nine-year-old daughter, Sarah, had a suicide attempt. Sarah took a butcher knife from her house, gathered all of her, all of her girl cousins together, told them that she wanted to commit suicide and she wanted to say goodbye. What makes a nine-year-old, a gregarious nine-year-old, want to die? She couldn't tell us, but she was so sad. And we didn't know, but we knew from experiences from, with me that we had to take it seriously. So we decided to take her to a specialist, a child psychiatrist. And with many things, with evaluations and appointments and paperwork, she was diagnosed with early onset bipolar disorder, type 1. But it's no longer, on the no longer below the radar, is it? And as we researched that and tried to understand what it meant, we realized that it fit Sarah. It really made sense. But through our research, we found more. As we considered his history and extreme aggressive behavior, we recognized our five-year-old Taylor, who had lots of red flags since the time he was born, he was experiencing emotional problems too. And so later, after comprehensive evaluation at the Children's Center at the University of Utah, he also was diagnosed with early onset bipolar disorder. Wait, two children? A bipolar club? Mom, Sarah, Taylor? Not dad and Alex? This is not how it's supposed to be. When you think about genetics, you think about passing on dazzling blue eyes or a keen intellect or height. This is not what we thought about when we were in Hawaii talking about our future. And I was so angry. I thought, they will blame me in those moments when this is part of their life. They are going to blame me because this is part of my life. And I don't know what to say to them. But it's, it's like when you know you are going to have children and you think, oh, we'll have so many things that we're going to do with them. What will it be like for them? Will they be able to hold down a job? Will they go to school? Will they commit suicide? And then I remembered something that I had read that was written by a mother who said, they will dream new dreams. And I thought, yes, they will dream new dreams and we will help them dream new dreams. We have to be creative in how we build our resiliency. Let me tell you about my Sarah. Sarah has anxiety. And in high school, when she was particularly struggling, she was having problems with cutting. Sarah needed a place to put her energy somewhere besides cutting. Her therapist challenged her to come up with a healthier way she could manage her emotions. She seriously thought it through. She's very creative and she figured when she felt the urge to cut, she would draw on her pants as a distraction from the anxiety. She wore the same pair of blue jeans and carried around a black Sharpie marker in her back pocket. This is her graffiti jeans and they were amazing. Her graffiti represented her mood on a given day, words that had meaning to her, powerful words and images to remind her to be strong over her anxiety. She had comfort graffiti 
and some angry pieces too. When she was home, she'd take off her pants and draw more messages of resilience on the back of the jeans so others could know what she was feeling. As a mother, that drove me crazy. What are you doing to a perfectly good pair of pants? But how proud she was wearing those pants because that represented her resiliency, her ability to find a different way to use her energy, her ability to help herself. After the initial frustration as a mom, just not getting the bigger picture of what Sarah was really trying to say, I looked closer to examine the messages from Sarah's heart written all over the denim fabric. It wasn't jeans. They stood for Sarah's principles, her graffiti principles. Let's take a minute to explore this further. Take a moment to clear your mind. Take a, take a deep breath and really focus yourself as I ask you a few questions. I wish we had time to map through some of your thoughts and your experiences and emotions that will occur as you consider what drives your graffiti principles. But for now, please listen to the following questions with ears to hear, hearts to feel, and minds to understand. Ready? What can represent your graffiti principles? The place you show your resilience in your unique way. Ask yourself, who am I? What are my inner strengths, my grit that carries me through stress? What represents my individuality? How do I show accountability for myself and my choices? What am I proud of? How do I express spirituality? Where do I want to go? How do I show joy? What are the ways I feed and celebrate my intrinsic worth and value? The graffiti principles do not say resilience is easy. In fact, they say resilience is hard. Resilience is visual and resilience is brave. Resilience is moving forward with purpose. Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, it's your reaction to adversity, not adversity itself, that determines how your life story will develop. On May 18, 1980, in Washington State, Mount St. Helens erupted and became the deadliest volcanic event in U.S. history. 57 people died in the blast. I visited Mount St. Helens 25 years after the explosion with a friend. It was an eerie experience as we approached the long stretch of road leading to the edge of the lower blast. There was an obvious boundary you crossed over from the living side to what felt like the dead side of the landscape. What used to be trees were standing like tall toothpicks stripped of any leaves, gray and haunting. Sparse vegetation grew low on the ground around the stands of the toothpick trees and it was very quiet. It was strange to notice that there were no birds or bird songs. Gray ash from a quarter century before continued to blanket the earth, hardly moved by time. My brother lives in Washington State, and he has also visited Mount St. Helens, although he's driven by, he has driven by an alternate route along Spirit Lake. He would not say we have visited the same mountain, for he sees beautiful trees, blue water, and nature living in fullness after a time of devastation. For sure, the area around Spirit Lake was devastated on May 18, 1980. But in this place, nature rebuilt and life returned. How can this be so? This is a slide of an area at Mount St. Helens before the eruption and the picture of the same area 30 years later. This left slide 
doesn't look like much from the outside. But within nature, there is something called biological legacies. There is a legacy that follows destruction. And what I find interesting is there are so many factors involved in that outcome that is unknown even to nature herself. As nature follows the instinct to live or die, it must adapt to the conditions around it. It is the species that determines the pace and direction of the new ecosystem. So in this corner of what became the new biological legacy on the right, the new landscape that it became meant few pine trees, which brought open light and space. Because of this new environmental change of open light, a whole new ecosystem grew. Deciduous trees, vegetation, wildflowers, animals, birds, a different potential. Was this new biological legacy better after the volcanic blast? I believe not necessarily better, just different. But how can we become like the drive along spirit lake? How can we create our own biological legacy to recover from setbacks and live resilient? First, we need to look at and be able to admit that devastation happens. It is part of the plan for all of us. Lucy Hone, a New Zealand researcher of resiliency, shares three secrets of resilient people. Resilient people know suffering is part of life. This helps the feeling of, feeling, feeling of being discriminated against or the sense of why does everything always happen to me when we recognize things happen to everyone. The message instead of why me could just be why not me? Two, resilient people are good at choosing carefully where they focus their attention. Dr. Hone talks of benefit finding or looking for the good. Don't you know some people who are innately optimistic? But that doesn't mean that a person can't learn to shift their perspective to a positive view. When we ate dinner as a family with the kids, we would go around the table and everyone would take their turn to share their favorite part of the day instead of complaining about their worst part of the day. This is a vital, learnable skill for resilient people to learn. For example, even in the midst of bipolar depression, I can choose, I can choose to see good things about my life, such as medication, a bed to sleep in, or that my husband does the grocery shopping. None of these things demand my attention or energy in the moment, but by being aware of the positive impact in my life, I have something to draw my attention away from my depression. Make sense? Number three, resilient people ask, is this helping or harming me? This mindset gives back a sense or an ability to control choices of one's life. Lucy Hone's daughter was very young when she was killed in a car accident. And she had to ask herself, is this time pouring over these photographs helping me or harming me? Is it better to spend time with the living or mourning the dead? She could choose. She put the photographs away and spent time with her other children instead. The next story along our journey is a very difficult one for me to share, but I believe this story offers the opportunity to understand the importance of connection, empathy, and faith. My son Taylor is the main character. Taylor is always one to feel emotions deeply and intensely. And this day, his rage was triggered at staying at a family event longer than he wanted to. He only wanted to go home. So as we drove home and got to the driveway, he burst out of the van and went to the backyard. Sarah and Alex, having much experience with scary behavior and crisis time with Taylor, went into the house and knew 
to implement our crisis plan and that I would manage Taylor. And Dale was at work. I found Taylor in the backyard, swinging a large stick, hitting trees and the fence as he circled around the yard. Pacing back and forth, he growled, kill, kill, kill. And I knew I needed help. The first place I went for help was to offer a fervent prayer for guidance that I would be sensitive to his needs. I quickly went into the house and called for assistance as was part of our crisis plan. And then I returned back outside to wait with Taylor. When I went back out to the backyard, I cautiously looked around for him. I didn't see him pacing and I couldn't hear him hitting the trees or threatening to kill. In fact, I couldn't see him or hear him at all. It was silent. I ventured further into the yard and suddenly saw Taylor sitting under a tree with a green jump rope wrapped around and around and around his neck. He tightly held both ends of the rope in his hands, pulling hard, and his face turned purple. I was almost paralyzed. I didn't know how to help him, but I knew I had to help him. I walked toward him calmly. I knew I needed to be calm so that I wouldn't make him more upset. And in that moment, I knew I would do anything, everything I could to save Taylor from himself. But I also knew we needed heaven's help to guide us through. I got in front of his face and said, Taylor, it's mom. Let me help you. As I tried to undo the rope. Not too fast because he was fighting against me. But I was undoing the rope and saying, I'm here. Look at me. Do you see me? I'm not going to leave you alone again. He was whimpering. And the more I undid the rope, the more he struggled. So I had to be more forceful. I felt sick in that moment. I had to almost tighten it to get that last knot around. The rope came off and he fell to the ground and he just leaned over and he started to cry. As we both took deep breaths, I began to prepare myself for the next step to help him. But first, I just said a prayer of gratitude for my son. Fortunately, Taylor developed coping skills from a very early age that, with help, allowed him to recover from suicidal events such as this. Dale and I believe teaching the kids life skills to cope with the reality of bipolar disorder would empower them to determine their own legacy. It may not be the same for a nine-year-old to be able to have power to influence his environment or his biological legacy, but he, like anyone else, learned to adapt to the factors around him. His dreams and opportunities fleshed out as he got older. As Taylor moved through junior high and high school, he began to define and redefine his graffiti principles. He, like his sister Sarah, found his own unique way to express his strengths, his legacy, and his graffiti principles, as his are expressed through the artful use of words. Some might look at the cup as half empty or half full. But recently I heard a young man who reported that he just sees a cup with water in it. How wonderful to open up your consideration to the completeness of life's opportunities. We can choose how we react to life. The graffiti principle allows us to write who we are in spite of or because of the experiences we face. It's hard to accept and to see our loved ones struggle. As women, we want to be fixers. But have you ever experienced the quiet moments when the heart is peaceful and the mind is open and the message is to be still and let God do his work? 
sometimes the best thing Dell and I have done is to do nothing, to bless and release the burden of mental illness to God. I want to read an excerpt from my book, Bless and Release, about a tender conversation Dell and I had as we tried to understand how to see a bigger picture with our son's struggles. We had just come from a meeting with professionals about a series of testing that had been done on Taylor that hadn't gone well. After receiving the test results, Dill and I came home and were sitting in the car in front of the house. I was stunned. We were drained by the parental responsibility weighing heavily upon us. We remained quiet for a few minutes. Then Dell began to cry and with great compassion said, he is just a boy and he isn't broken. He came here with everything he needs and we don't have to fix him and change what his plan is. It is not up to us. He continued, who is to say that if we do this intervention, it won't take away some of the great gifts he has. We don't want to mute who he is. This insight was powerful. Taylor wasn't broken. He was only a child. He was God's child. Our job was to help him maximize his strengths, to build him up. So do you want to fast forward and hear Taylor's story today? Do you like stories with a happy ending? Taylor graduated last spring from the University of Utah with his master's degree and is now successfully working a great job in his chosen career. And is like Taylor, he is back at the University of Utah getting his second master's degree. It was a happy day when as a family, we gathered together to help him move into his own apartment. Taylor and I were alone in his living room and I took him aside and said, Taylor, when you get depressed, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to call you. I said, and how are you going to know when to call me? I'm going to know, he said. And when you call me, and I made him look me in the eye like we looked at each other in the eye when I unwrapped that rope from around his neck. And when you call me, you know that I will be here for you. And I believe he knows that. So the question in my heart is, have I taught him to be resilient? Are his graffiti principles strong and confident? Have I learned to bless and release him to his amazing future? I believe the answer is yes to all. It has been my personal experience. The impact of mental illness at times is devastating. I have personally shied away from the phrase, I suffer from mental illness because in my darkest moments, when I have been unable to form even a coherent thought, the Savior, who truly suffered for me, has been with me to protect me from myself and my illness until I could do it on my own. He is the one who suffered below depths that I will never have to travel. So for me, I say I struggle with mental illness albeit sometimes a mighty struggle. None of us are broken. We have everything we need. Resilience comes from within and from without. We are so much more than our challenges. Mental illness is a part of my plan and a part of my family's plan, but with a firm testimony of the purpose of life's experiences, and the healing power of the Savior, which is central to who I am, mental illness has impacted my family's life. And for the blessings and growth that it has brought, I am grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. So beautiful. Yeah, sisters, if you'll just think, what are my takeaways today? Or what am I noticing I'm being somewhat illuminated toward, but I just need a little more clarification or information. 
Karen, I just wanted to ask you just that graffiti principle and asking us how we can, oh, how did you put it? How, what we can do that represents our resilience. When you asked that question, I had this, you know, this thought, well, her book definitely is a representation of her using her own graffiti principle. Like I, I wanted to make sure that I understood it is writing down and knowing what kind of questions or things that you are declaring about how you heal, who you are, what's happening to you right now, honoring the feelings you have, that kind of thing, and having a place that represents this is where I'm at, this is what's really going on, and that's where I want to be because that's who I am. Is that correct? That is true. And I think the fact that everyone is individual, I, I cannot draw at all. I, to play Pictionary with me, you're going to lose because I just cannot express myself in art. Yeah. Yet, as you saw with the uh, graffiti pants that my daughter, actually my daughter reproduced her graffiti pants for me to do presentation. So what you saw in the slide is her uh, adult pants that she cre created from what she did in high school because she, and she found that to be so, so empowering even now to be able to have that, that representation of how it feels for her to be able to put her resilience on pants again. It was great for her. But for me, I don't draw. So for me, it is through words and through writing. Someone else it might be in how they express themselves in, in words through music and, and through their singing. It might be as they communicate with their, their children, how they teach them, uh, how they are in their community. Uh, a lot of it just is how does your strength come out from you, from your heart, <clears throat> to, the, to the, your environment around you. Yes, my book, my book had to be written because I had something that I had to say. I had to tell my story. So for me, it was the book. Yeah. So good. That's such a healthy thing because when you're right in the middle of the biggest part of your mess, because most messes kind of reoccur, you know, they settle down and then they get a little more intense. It just makes so much sense to have evidence that you can go to that says, this is who I am. And this is why I might be in this mess. And here's how I will react or act to this mess. Whether that's a journal or a, you know, something you're sewing or creating or, I mean, it's just really awesome, that principle. Well, the other thing I wanted to point out was how beautiful it was when you talked about dance steps. To me, so beautiful to relate that to a tempo and how sometimes the way that we move through our life looks gorgeous. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so celebratory and other times it looks like other people understand our tempo or I might understand their tempo when they are just at the waltz stage and it can be as slow or as fast as it needs to be and I will honor that and that that is their waltz. That's how they do that when they're at that place. But it can increase or decrease according to that and how much love and grace we have to offer to that space. And that you don't even always have to have a partner you also can dance by yourself if that's what, if that's all you have and, or that's how you feel at the moment. I, I'm just very fortunate, but. So beautiful. Thank you for mentioning that. Hey, Karen, I'm just going to re-mention if anybody wants to get a copy of Karen's book or learn more about her or contact her, her book is called Bless and Release. And it's available at Amazon and other book retailers. Or you can also go to her website at KarenGreenwell.com where she has a contact page and her email address and everything is on there. So you're welcome to contact her there. 
And then just moving forward, we want to thank everybody for joining us today. We're so excited just to be able to offer these webinars every week. We do have two more weeks coming up, so feel free to invite a friend for the next couple of weeks. And remember, once these three weeks is over, we do offer a Mom Power course. So go to mompowertraining.com, and we do have an eight-week series that will start on June 16th. I got the date right this time. Next week, coming up for our webinar series, just a little shout out, we have Shasta Hardy, who will be joining us, and she is a licensed therapist with our Daughters of Light program, and that program helps young women and women who are dealing with anxiety, depression, and other mental health struggles, and personally having a daughter who struggled with that. I know as a mom, it's really hard to find help, and it's really hard to find places for your young women to go where you know that they're going to be taught the same values that you have and you know that they can find healing and that they will be taught who they are and that they're daughters of God. So come next week and listen to Shasta Hardy. And if you want to learn more about the Daughters of Light program, you can go to daughtersoflight.org. And just as a reminder, our Stay by the Tree series is sponsored by Mothers Who Know and Life Changing Services. So motherswhoknow.org, lifechangingservices.org. And I also wanted to mention that Karen Broadhead has a book called Mama Trauma, Now What? Finding Hope When Your Child Battles Pornography or Other Challenging Issues. You can also find that at Amazon. So if you're struggling, pretty much if you're a mom and you're struggling and you need some help and support, Mothers Who Know is the place for you. We all have been there. We all have children that are struggling. We all are at a different place in that journey, and we can all learn from each other, which is also why we love to have guests like Karen Greenwell come and just show us that there is hope in the journey and that we can move forward. So we did have a request, Karen. Somebody asked if you would re-mention those questions that you asked earlier for the resilience principles. Sure. That's why I had them written down. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I remember. Okay. So, and I want to mention again that this really is a process as you're mapping out your graffiti principles that is as Sarah and then later for myself and Taylor, as we were conscientiously looking to be able to identify who are we and how do we want to be able to represent ourselves as we are passing through for us, this is part of our resilience and wellness because bipolar disorder is a cyclical illness, we know we're going to be coming through this illness of highs and lows again and again. And as we mature, it looks different. You know, my daughter diagnosed at nine years old versus now she's 29 years old. Her bipolar disorder, and she may even call it something a little bit different than a typical bipolar disorder, because now she has anxiety and other things going on in her life. Her graffiti principles may look different on a different pair of pants now. But when I mentioned that it is a process and that the thoughts, emotions, and experiences really do bring up emotions, that evokes emotions as you're trying to identify these things, it's not to be taken lightly. It's hard to go through these questions and other questions that come up. So it's not a, a one-time sit down at the table and decide this is what it means to me because you have to identify, gosh, I've had some kind of heavy things happen in my life. What does that mean? I've had maybe a relationship in my family that I need to think a little bit deeper about. And what does that mean to me? And what kind of healing have I done so that I can move forward or I need to be able to be resilient so that I don't repeat some things that are very hard in my heart. So it takes time. It will have, it will have a little bit of a punch to it. Okay. So these are the questions. And also again, everyone's resilience is unique to them. Who am I? What are my inner strengths, my grit? That was the part that got me, my grit that carries me through stress. What represents my individuality? How do I show accountability for myself and my, cho for myself and my choices? 
What am I proud of? How do I express spirituality? That was important for me because not everyone is like me. Spirituality may not even be called spirituality. But there probably is some inner core that goes with resiliency, whatever that looks like. Where do I want to go? How do I show my joy? What are the ways I feed and celebrate my intrinsic worth and value? To be resilient, you need to absolutely, absolutely know and feel that you have worth and value. Thank you, Karen. So beautiful. So I have pages of notes that I took here. Can I express my gratitude myself and my team who has put this webinar together that I appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers Who Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. The Eternal Warriors podcast, hosted by two YSA eight young men who share their story, teach valuable lessons, and interview special guests. And... The Clark and Linda Show, a courageous couple that shares their journey of pornography addiction and how that affected their marriage and family. You can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook under mothersyouknow.lcs or search for Mothers You Know and on Instagram, username at mothers underscore who know. Last, if you would like additional support and training, Please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week Mom Power Training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers Who Know website at mothersyouknow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services, at lifechangingservices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. And by the way, if you do enroll in a program, use our promo code M. WK on the enrollment form to get $25 off a Sense of Human intake session. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit. Please email me at mothersyouknow at lifechangingservices.org. Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.